Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. That's what I feel like when I get up on Sunday morning. Like they're going to children's church is how I feel about going to grown people church. I love being here with you guys. I love worshiping the Lord together with you. And I love getting up and seeing what the Lord is going to do. What the Lord is going to say through me, through Michael, through the music, through the scripture. And so let's see what he has for us this morning. Let's start today's message with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just are in awe of who you are and your love for us. We, Lord, we admit that we get it all wrong a lot of the time. And so, Lord, we, we confess that, that, that we do not see you for who you are, and we pray, Lord, that you would adjust our focus today. Help us, Lord, through this series to see who you really are as our lover, the lover of our souls, and what that means, not only for how we understand you, but how we are to love others and live our life here on earth. And so we pray, Lord, uh, that you'd be glorified in today's message and that truth would prevail in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we start a new series. I've entitled it Love Story. I always had the idea of this epic story through the pages of Scripture, the plan of salvation played out from eternity past. We'll call that the epilogue. And we look forward to the end of the story and how things will be in the new earth and the new heavens. We'll call that the prologue of the story. This story that we're going to tell is going to be over the course of the next 17 or 18 weeks, and it's in three acts. Today, we start act one, entitled Love Descends. This act talks about the next six weeks. We'll talk about God's love to us and how it descends and falls upon us and how we are to understand the God from whom that love is shed. There is perhaps no theme or topic within the Christian faith, at least that I'm aware of. I'm sure there's ones we could argue, but, but that is not more written about, sung about, preached about, exalted about, written about in poetry, told about in stories than God's love. I mean, just think about some of the most well-known scriptures that we hear in lots of places and lots of venues. I think of, for God so loved the world, right? We hear it at every football game right there on the sign, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We think of love is patient and love is kind in the passage that is frequently used in weddings. Perhaps we hear the passage, no, the world knows no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. But what is love? For all that we talk about it, for all that we share about it, for all that we've experienced about it, is there a way for us to really encapsulate what love is? 
what it is that we're supposed to be sharing with others, what it is we're supposed to be looking for when we look to God. I want you to think carefully about how you think about love. When you think of the word, what springs to mind? Do you think of physical love? When I do the five love languages, I'm always like physical touch and words of affirmation. Tell me you love me and then hug me. That's how I understand love. Do you think of it more as an emotion? Something that you feel? Or maybe you take a more abstract turn and you look at love as sacrifice. Love means that I do my duty for the person that I love. Husbands, this is one that we often uh, get accused of living too much in. You never say I look pretty or that you love me anymore. I go to work every morning. What more do you want me to say? Or maybe it's that connection. That thing you can't quite explain, but we're connected. Like a mother and a child. I was listening to a podcast the other day about um, that f- a phenomenon that occurs when, when the, the child of a parent, typically a mother, something happens to that child. Sometimes their death, the parent feels it. Something's not right. There's a connection. I mean, we all want to be loved and we all want to love because we were made for it. We were made for it. But to understand love in its purest form, to get the closest picture of all of its facets together, we need to see what God says about it. Because we take love for how we understand it here on earth, in our poetry, our romance books, and our movies that we watch, and we impute that idea of love onto the way we love those around us. Monkey see, monkey do. The truth is, is that God has told us exactly what love is like. And it's who he is. All of our conceptions of love must be filtered through God's revelation about himself. Because it's possible to profess to be a Christian, to say you're living the Christian life, to walk the Christian life in many ways with a worldly conception of love. Worse yet, it's possible to live the Christian life without ever experiencing God's love. Next week we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about not only is God a lover, but he loves you. And how do we get to that place? But perhaps worse, we will seek false love in false places. The objects of our love will always fall short when they're not ingrained and given to us by God. So like all stories, which usually start with the protagonist, that's exactly where we're going to start this morning. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, I think, 7 through 10. The protagonist of our story is God himself. And so John, the author of this book, is going to tell us exactly what God is and how he relates to love. So, verse 7. John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is the passage. This is the the nugget, okay, that starts our whole story. God's love in himself. So the first thing we need to come to terms with is that God's love is foundational to his being, character, and person. God is love. Interestingly, we sometimes flip that around in the world and we say love is God. 
and we view love as the highest end and the object of our worship. But in the Greek, when you know the grammar, it's very clear that John is saying that God, God is the object, God is the subject, is love. In this passage, God's encouraging his readers to love because love is from God. And he goes on to say God is love. You see, God's love in eternity is expressed through the persons of the Trinity. I love what Michael said. He set it up exactly how I wanted to talk about it. It all starts with the Trinity. The Trinity is who God is. When we think of God, we often think of really, let's be, we often think of God the Father. We think of a single unitary person as that being the object of our worship one God. But the Bible is clear through passage after passage that, the, that God, the Godhead, God in his entirety is a trinity. I wrote in my notes, explain the trinity. <laughs> it's a fool's errand. The truth is, the second you open your mouth and try to apply a metaphor, teach a lesson, say a word about it, you've moved into the realm of truth to heresy. Because it's impossible for our human minds to totally grasp God in his being lives outside of time. Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? That God sees all of our lives, all of the span of human history from day one to day end in one indivisible moment. That when God looks upon his creation, he sees everything that would be, everything that will be, and everything that will be in the future. All in one time. The Trinity is composed of three members, three persons, as it were, and they're all of the same substance. That means that the Father is God, Jesus Christ is God, the Son is God, I should say more correctly, and the Holy Spirit is God. There is no organization in the Trinity in which one is exalted above the other. They are equal in their being. Not only are they the same substance, but they have the same character. They express different, they, they, are, they are alike. Let's put it that way. Each person within the Trinity is alike. But they are different persons. They each exemplify a different aspect of who God is. We see this often throughout the pages of Scripture. As a person, we each have our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own opinions, our own, we're people. We have our own identity. In the Trinity, each one of the persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, also each have their own identity. Yet this is the amazing thing. Where three of us would get in a room and try to make a decision about anything, we would never come away with exactly the same ideas. But out of their love, their perfection, and their self-giving to one another, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and agree in one accord, with one heart, for all of eternity. That is what true love is. When we talk about true love here on earth, we say, well, that's a mother and a child. Or that's the budding romance of those yet to be married as they sit on the park bench. Or we see the firefighters storming in to save the little puppy. True love. True love. The Trinity lives outside of time, for eternity, in constant and perfect unity. There was a time my friends and I were sitting around the table once, and we were just got done eating dinner, and we are chit-chatting, and, this and, that, and there was this moment. I don't know how to describe it. I've told you a little about it before, but 
where I sat back and I realized that everyone at the table was saying things like this to the I love when you do that. You are so awesome at that. The other person, no, but you're, you're awesome at that. I love when you do that. And it turned into this love fest. And it felt like in that moment, everyone at the table was extending themselves and offering themselves to the people around the table. And I thought, this, I just got a glimpse into the Trinity. I just got a glimpse into God. Now take that to the superlative, forever. And that is who God is in his deity. That is who God is in the Trinity. It's this divine dance that for all of eternity, they, they turn around each other in perfect love. Perfect love. When we talk about the love of God, it's helpful to, dis- to, to sort of distinguish between the words that I've used, being, character, and person. Okay? The being of God is, what is God? What is he? We see this in ourselves. We are called human beings. What am I? I am a human being. It is my absolute most basic attribute. That is what I am in myself, a being. So in this conversation, God is a being would be God is a lover. God is a lover. We talk about the character of God. This is what God is like what God is like. So in reference to this, we would say God loves. It's the third piece, God is a person, where we ask ourselves, who is God? Who is God? This is where we get to the place where we come to the realization that God loves us. God loves us. Next week, we're going to talk about this. What does it mean that God loves us? us. If we see God only in his being as a lover, we'll say, well, why does God love me? And someone will answer, well, because that's what he does. Because God is a lover. Because God's very character is to be one who loves, that's why he loves you. Doesn't that seem to fall flat in your heart? Doesn't that seem to abstract God out to such a degree that we can say with our mouth that, yes, God is a lover, but not feel it, that God loves me, that God loves me. If we're all about God's character and what God is like, we can confess that God loves everybody else, but still, God doesn't love me. It is my heart, my desire during this series that we get to a place where each and every one of us can say without reserve, God loves me. Because there is something about me. Not only does God extend that love to me because that's who he is, but there's something about me that makes me special in the eyes of my Father. That he delights in me, not just because he's a delighter, but because I'm special. I'm special. I just think about what would our worship look like? What would our lives look like? We would be absolutely transformed. All of the resentments that we've held on to, all of the unconfessed things, all of the relational strife that we've had in our lives would go away. Because to fully experience and embrace the love of God for me transforms a person, changes them, changes them. So think about your life in relation to this being, character, and person.
When you consider the love of God, are you considering it in this abstract form? Are you thinking God loves me because that's who God is? He can't help but to love me. Or have you arrived at a place where we can say, well, God, is a, he's, he's a lover, so he loves other people, but he doesn't love me. Or maybe you're at the place where you feel God's love to such a degree that there is no question that you are special in his eyes. I got to be honest. I only get glimpses of the third one. I only get glimpses. But I want to live there. Do you want to live there? Lane and I will go on vacation sometimes. We'll be like, this is a nice place to vacation, but I wouldn't want to live here. If God's love for me is something like a vacation, I want to live there. And I know you do too. Because it's why you were made. It's how you were made. It's what you were made for. Now, there's some that argue that love is God's most basic attribute, as if everything else about him is predicated upon his love. In other words, they argue that love trumps everything else. It trumps God's holiness, God's justice, God's truth, God's righteousness, all of it. But it's worth noting, in this same book, 1 John, where John says God is love, he also says God is light. God is light. And in the Bible, light denotes truth and holiness. So not only is God a lover, but God is a truth giver. God is holy. It's kind of where we see that verse that says, um, uh, give the truth in love. We see these two facets of who God is, and this is the way we are to speak truth to others around us. Now, if I personally, my opinion, had to look at a basic attribute of who God was, if that even exists, I would be inclined to say it's God's holiness. Only in one place in the Bible is, God, is an attribute of God given three times in a row. This is called a trisagion. This is in the book of Isaiah where the angels surrounding the throne of God say, Holy, holy, holy. This is the Hebrew way of saying, there ain't nothing else. <laughs> this is it. With that being said, it's very important to know that all of the attributes of God, including his love, work in harmony. Work in harmony. They are never in tension in the way that we think they are. We ask ourselves, well, how is this possible? How can God be just on one hand and merciful on the other? Aren't they opposite? Or better yet, how can God love and hate at the same time? I don't know. But I know the scripture says this. I think we find the solution, though, when we recognize that God is not man. God is wholly other and a different type of being than we are. That God is capable of loving and hating, of being just and merciful simultaneously. I mean, I think about my own life, you know. We talk about Calvin all the time. Where are you, kid? I'm sorry. I don't mean, you know, Calvin, he, he, I can love him and be angry at the same time. So it's possible. We get a glimpse of it in our human life. But God is different. And I think when we consider, the Bible talks about, when you look to Christ, instead of trying to figure out, well, how does this love, hate, righteousness, uh, justice, mercy, how does this all fit together? It all gets answered in the cross of Jesus Christ.
In the book of Revelation, God calls the gospel the eternal gospel. That means the plan of salvation, God's working in your life. Did you know even your calling as one of God's children has been part of God's plan since God has been God? And how long has God been God? Forever. You have been in the heart of God. You have been in the mind of God. You specifically for eternity past. The plan on how you would be saved and be brought into the kingdom as a result of your sin through Christ, part of God's eternal plan. Part of God's eternal character. There's never been a time then God has not known you and God has not planned for Christ to die for you. So we can see the attributes of God being resolved in that because eternally it's been resolved through his son Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily get us any closer to what God's love is. Like how do we define it for ourselves? We see what it's like. We understand how the Trinity interacts. So I'm going to give you two definitions from theologians. These are not clear in terms of comprehensive. These are not in their totality, but I think they're helpful. Wayne Grudem says, love me, God's love means that God eternally gives himself to others. That's exactly what Michael said. That he always seeks to communicate himself to others. Burkhoff says that God's love is that perfection of God by which is eternally moved to self-communication. Again, God gives of who he is to others, first in the Trinity and then to us, and then to us. So that's the first piece we got to get hammered out, that God's love, that God is love, and any understanding of love got to start there. It has to start there. Two, God's love is expressed through the life and death of Jesus Christ, just like what we said. In this, go to back to verse 9, it says, in this the love of God was made manifest. It appeared among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word, the satisfaction, for the sacrifice for our sin. Because God is other and lives in eternity, we're unable to understand God truly in who he is in any comprehensive sense. When we conceive of God and God's love, think about this. This was something that we were talking about in one of our planning meetings. It's like trying to remember a dream. It's trying to remember a dream. Our sin so blinds us to the reality of who God is that we can just get glimpses. One day it says we'll stand before him and we will know him as he knows us. One day we will see God free from the obstruction and blinding nature of sin. I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait for that day. I was talking to someone the other day. It's like, how are you doing? They're like, oh, I want to go to heaven. You tell someone that in the world, they're going to call 911. You're going to find yourself someplace for a while. <laughs> well, we get it. We get it. When we talk about going to heaven, we talk about, I wish we're, I were at the place that everything we struggle with here on earth was gone. When we will see the God who loves us and know that love in its most complete sense, but here we only get a glimpse. Because of that, because God is on the other side of this line in eternity, he's given us 
the ability to see who he is through Jesus Christ, through his son. Karl Barth said basically that the only thing we can understand about God, the only way we can understand God is by looking at the Christ event, by looking at the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the miracle of the incarnation. This is God revealing himself from eternity in time and making himself visible and manifesting himself to us. God, of his own initiative, came to us, opened our eyes to see him in Jesus Christ. Now, you might say to me, what about the Old Testament people? I mean, they saw God. They were on a mountain. They heard his voice. Adam and Eve walked with God. Even after their sin, they they saw God. This This is an amazing truth. This is something that just leaves me awestruck when I consider All of God's revealing himself in the Old Testament was predicated on Christ's death on the cross. In other words, God revealed himself to the Old Testament saints on credit, knowing that Jesus would die on the cross. From us, it looks like a timeline. But from God, who sits outside of time, remember, one indivisible moment. One indivisible moment. The Old Testament saints who experienced God in his presence only beheld him by virtue of the promised Messiah. God revealed himself by grace to them, that grace that was worked or would be worked on the death, by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God's love takes the initiative. True love is what God did on our behalf without any contribution. We did nothing. And God took the initiative through his Son sending him and giving us the grace to open our eyes and see. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was thinking about the Reckless Love song. Michael, 10 out of 10. I came up to Michael before the service. I said, hey, we're doing Reckless Love. Can you explain a little bit about the second meaning, about the meanings of Reckless? Whenever I do that to somebody... And you guys do that to me, too. You're like, hey, someone's in the hospital as of last night at midnight. Can you come tell me so I can make the announcement? And it's on top of 15 other announcements, right? And it's hard to get everything in my head, to remember everything, right? Well, same thing. So I said that this morning to Michael. He said, yeah, I'll say a word or two. I'll try. You did a great job. It's exactly what I was trying to. But as we were singing it, I began thinking about that idea of recklessness and the definition that Michael gave, definition number one. For me, I think I resonate with that word reckless and the idea of definition number one so much because I know where I was when God saved me. I was not in a safe place. I mean, you could argue that jail might be the safest place ever, but (laughs) the life that brought me to the place where God finally said, are you done? Here, let me open your eyes so you can see where you are. Was so far into the wilderness that the idea of God coming to get me resonates with me. And so when I think about this idea, when I think about that God on his own behalf, on his initiative, despite where I was, came to me And came to you. 
opened your eyes. I once was in a Bible study in prison, and a guy came in. I liked him. He was a pretty good guy. And I don't judge someone on one wrong statement, okay, ever. Because I understand I make about three of them per message. I've already made a couple. Some of you have already been jotting notes. I've seen it. Uh, He was a nice guy. He came in and told the truth. He came in and was preaching a message one time, and he came to the line where he said, but at least I knew enough to get saved. Okay? And after he said it, he sort of backtracked a little bit and fixed, or tried to fix what he said, but the bell had been rung. The bell had been rung. The truth is, is I can't be too hard on the guy because many of us live life like that. We look at our salvation and our love unto God as something we have done. Yeah, I'm a good person. I showed up to church. I heard the message. I accepted it because that's the right thing to do. And that's what I do, the right thing. That's not my story. While I was still an enemy. While I was still a sinner. And I had no desire to not be. Nor did you. Christ came. And he opened your eyes. And made you alive with him. For by grace you have been saved. And that grace is given to us by virtue of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And God's loving us first. First, because it's who he is. And it's what he wants to do. We need to be careful about understanding love, focusing our eyes on God when we're trying to understand what love is and how we are to interact with others in that love of God. After all, like, if, if our lives, and I believe this, are intended to be a reflection of who God is, I better know who God is. Otherwise, I'm going to be reflecting something that's not right. I'm going to be reflecting something that's wrong. So number three, God's love must be the basis for our understanding of God's love. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Sent his son to be a propitiation. Peter corrects his reader's thinking that love started with them. But that true love takes the initiative like God did while we were still enemies. We need to adjust our understanding to what God has said in his entire word about who he is and how we should love, about what love means. This is a difficult point for many of us. Often we feel like a loving thing is to do is not actually loving. I mean, I know you've been in this situation. Someone's struggling in my life. What do I tell them? Do I tell them what I want to tell them to make them feel better? Or do I tell them the truth? What's more loving? Some of us will take that to the nth degree and be like truth snipers and just like looking for wherever we can throw bombs all the time, right? You know. But on the other side, some of us will not deliver truth. We'll know what, we'll know it, (laughs) but we won't say it because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And then we'll justify it to ourselves and say, I don't want to be unloving. I don't want to be unloving. Often what feels like a loving thing to do is not because it does not align with God's love and how he loves. You know, I struggle with this, this too. I struggle with this too. You know, we're in this church not because we're sinless, but because we're sinners. We're in this church because we recognize that Christ is the source of anything that we have. That doesn't make us perfect people, right? We all know that. If you don't know that, you... We all know that. 
We all know that. There are beliefs and attitudes that I want to hold. I wish God's word said something else sometimes. There are actions that I want to take in ways of showing love to others that I think is right, but in the end, I know, I know when I judge those impulses against God's word, my thinking needs to be realigned. So what do I do? I mean, this passage makes it clear that God extends love to sinners through a sacrifice. It says God loved us and he sent his son Jesus. He doesn't just simply extend love to us by giving us everything we want. He doesn't say, oh, you have an impulse to go do something. You have a desire to have this. Go. I love you. No. God knows that because of our sin, which is the gravest, most serious, most deadly thing ever to exist in our lives, is so detrimental to our relationship with him and to ourselves that he addresses it in Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just extend that love to us by showing up one day as a human being to identify with us in our sin. No, he dies for us because our sin is serious. Love, all that to say, love does not overlook sin. Love deals with it. The world tells us that love overlooks sin, or worse yet, calls sin good. We have to be careful. If we are to call ourselves children of God, if we truly are children of God, the way we love others needs to exemplify who God is in his entirety. Now, we can't die for the sins of the people we love. I know some of us think we can. We call martyrs. We martyr ourselves for the benefit of the other person. But there's only one who has died for our sin to deal with it. And so when we are talking to people who are, and trying to love them well, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to say, what did Jesus die for? Jesus died. Instead of just saying, it's fine. It's fine. I count on you guys in my life to do this for me. I count on you guys to say, hey, you know, This is what I see, but Christ died for that. We need each other. We need each other. When I'm torn on how best to show love towards others in a difficult situation, I ultimately just need to do my best to love them like God and give the results to him. Let everything fall The chips fall where they may. Proverbs, it's really like living out Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. We often stop at 6. Listen to all of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't think you know better than God. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What a promise that when we trust God and we go his way, that we're going to find healing and refreshment in the consequences, in the results. That's, wow. When we do this, our love will look more and more like God's love. Final point for this morning. Our love toward others is a reflection of God's love toward us. We talk about this all the time. This is boilerplate Christian living, okay? But it bears repeating. It bears repeating. 
Because if we're trying to love somebody in our own strength and from our own understanding of love, it will fall short every single time. We have to live our lives saying, how would God love this person? More importantly, we need to live our lives invested in cultivating that love and relationship between God and ourselves. And as we're changed into the image of Christ, we will begin to love naturally the way that he does as well. So in the end, let's go back to the beginning of the passage, first two verses. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. The implication for this truth that God is love is that we should love because that is the nature and character of our Father. And we've been born of them, of him. Think of that. If we're born of God, don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about in our nature, we're supposed to be like little gods. God has a baby. That's us. We're born again. The nature, the character of the God who birthed us, even though God's different in his being, his character should be exemplified in who we are. This is what it means to be sanctified. This is what Peter talks about when he says we begin to become partakers of the divine nature. Over time, we become more and more like Christ in our lives. When we know God, we know how God loves. So the degree at which we know the true God and who he has revealed in the scripture is the degree to which we will truly love others. It's astounding to me. I say this a lot. I'm astounded by myself. Sometimes I'll think something and how did this? But it's astounding to me in the lives of the believers that I know, of you guys and others and myself, that we can profess to know God so well and do so little of what he says. <laughs> I mean, let me give you one, forgive. How about that one? Okay, so that one like rules out every other one. Yes, I'm a believer, but they did that to me, dead to me. I said good day. When we want to ask ourselves, how well do I really know God? A good marker might be, how well am I forgiving? How well am I forgiving? The better we know God, truly know him, in relationship with him, and are transformed by his love, the more we will become like him here on earth. Where forgiveness won't be, hard, won't be easy, but it'll happen. It'll happen. We are mirrors of God's character. That includes his love to the world. We derive our ability to love from God who loves us. When we're oriented to something else, it doesn't work. Our love falls short. At my house, you guys know some of my house, I have a big garage, and I'm thinking about getting solar panels put on the top of that big garage, going off the grid. Until I need groceries and I'm going to the store. But those panels need to be focused at exactly the right place to receive the maximum amount of solar energy so that I'll be converting the most into electricity used for my home. Think about the, the, how that parallels our life. When our heart and our lives are oriented towards God, our Son, we receive the maximum input of energy to live life like Him here on earth and to put that energy out into the world around us. But when we're off, and let me tell you, 
when you are allowing your feelings to dictate the way you receive God's word about who he is, it changes. We need to be relentless in our heart's ability to see God for exactly who he is, even when we don't like what the implications are. When we do that, the panels in our hearts get more aligned to him. And we're able to use that energy in our lives. It's very important. It's very important. All right. In conclusion, let's talk about the four points again. God's love is foundational to his being, character, and person. It all starts with God. Everything we're going to talk about in the next 17 weeks starts right here. God is love. Two, God's love is expressed through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Anything we understand about love ultimately and completely is revealed in the Christ event. Jesus being born, dying, and raising again for our behalf, for our sins. Number three, God's love must be the basis for our understanding of love. We need to be willing to adjust how we love to how God loves. And finally, our love towards others is a reflection of God's love towards us. We derive the energy to love others well from God because all, when it says God is love, anything we understand here on earth that is love is from God, is from God. So we need to understand that. Our next message, we will move, like I said, from our focus on God's love in himself, but to God's love to his creatures, namely to us. I'm excited about this next message. I like this message. I'm grateful for God that he used me in it. But the next message, now I'll probably fall flat now that I even said it. So don't have any too high expectations about me. But I'm really excited because this is something we need. All of us, we need to know what it means that God loves us and to experience it. Part of our loving others well is a reflection of how God loves us is, as a church. We um, have been called to an opportunity to love our brothers and sisters in France, namely in Noyon, okay, the birthplace of Calvin. Actually, I, I went there. I went into the house where John Calvin, the reformer, was born, did a lot of his work, and there's a piece of a stair railing about that much that is the original house. So I have seen but not touched, the original home. It was awesome. I went with Dan and Margaret Keel. Elaine came as well, and we had a whirlwind time to, uh, in France. And I want to invite Dan up to tell you guys a little bit about how we extended that love to France in Noyon and how uh, we can continue to pray for them as their brothers and sisters. All right. Good morning, uh, Grace family. <clears throat> Yeah, it was a, a privilege. It was definitely a blessing, I think, for the four of us just to have that time in France. Uh, the whole idea originally was to uh, be there for the dedication of their building, but they had the visit of a security commission in July that shut them down for six weeks, and they couldn't use their building. And so that had to be put off, and we asked that question, should we still go? And when I talked to Uberto, the pastor, he said, um, the commission is coming back on the 8th of September. We would love to do a fall kickoff and celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the church on the 11th of September. We believe that God is going to allow us to do that. And uh, if you still want to come, you're welcome to come. 
So, and, um, so in the second picture that you'll see on the screen, and you, I think some of you saw this a few weeks ago, this is about an hour after that commission came by. And uh, Adam and Elaine had just arrived from the airport, and we were able to celebrate a, a, an amazing answer of prayer as the Safety Commission granted full usage of the facility. And uh, we were able to immediately go into the planning of our sun, uh, the Sunday. Um, so the, the next day and the next slide uh, was a Friday night. And uh, our, all of our friends in the Mother Church and in San Luis decided to get together and uh, have a, a, a good French six-course meal uh, for us, which lasted about six hours, too. <laughs> and uh, of all of our, many of our good friends uh, from, from those two churches, uh, good fellowship. Um, a good time together, and I think I was, I was thinking, well, this should be a relaxing evening for Adam and Elaine, you know, their first full day in France, but God had other plans, as uh, in the next picture you'll see, um, God put Adam right next to one of our really good friends who's a social worker in a tough neighborhood of high-rises, and was going through a tough time, a difficult time, and uh, with her limited English and the help of Google Translate, uh, Adam was able to be a real encouragement to her. Um, yes, the idea of this trip was to go and to love on these people, to be an encouragement, but I think we would all agree, those of us that were there, that um, we felt so encouraged and we felt so loved by the people that we came in contact with. <clears throat> the next uh, uh, side slide shows our Sunday service on the 11th. It was a wonderful day of about 100 of us coming together to worship God, celebrate his faithfulness, his answer to prayer, a beautiful time of worship that lasted over an hour. Um, and during that time, the leadership in the next slide, um, had us come forward because they wanted to express their heartfelt thank you for everything that GBC has done for them. I know many of you designated gifts have prayed for them. Huberto is the, is the man on the left, uh, great man of God, a good leader. It's been a tough time. It's a tough time. He needs our prayers. Uh, Rebecca, the one on the right, is secretary, treasurer, taking care of aging parents. Um, I know some of you have prayed for her as well. Um, in the next um, slide, we'll see the continued, continued uh, praise time. We had communion together, and then Adam uh, was able to give an encouraging message um, and you know, in the next slide, we'll see that um, a message of encouragement on the fact that faith, joy, and hope sustains us in those difficult times. 
Um, I was up there just to translate, by the way. After the service, the church organized a, a cold buffet meal. When they get their full full uh, inspection, you know, and they're uh, up to code, then they can install a, a kitchen. But um, how wonderful it was to reconnect with so many people that we know and love um, during that time. Now, Monday, the next day, I think we finally decided it was time to suffer for the Lord in Paris. So you can see this. Yes. Uh, no, the one before that. There should be one. Or maybe it's, maybe it's, yeah, there it is. So here we are, Montmartre, up on the big hill look, overlooking the city in a very nice restaurant eating very good food. It was tough. And uh, with surrounded by artists painting and selling their art uh, you know, uh, to the tourists coming through there, Adam was able to find a really nice French hat. Um, is about a block away from Sacred Heart Church overlooking Paris. Um, then we took the time to drive through to see the various monuments and get an overlook of Paris and ending up at the Eiffel Tower. Like, uh, that was the, this slide, yes, we had to take the typical touristy shot there. Um, it was a lot of fun. I think we enjoyed the visiting the places and the monuments, but I think we would both agree that um, what made this an amazing trip uh, were the people. The people, um, in the next slide, you'll see the Cogne family, uh, the ones that said, they moved into Noyon and said, Dan and Margaret, would you come and help us? We got the Macedonian call or the Noyonne call, um, and they've been investing so much time and effort into that. Um, there you see Rebecca again at the same time trying to care for her aging parents. In the next slide, uh, just an example. Such good friends like our bread lady whose life was transformed by her new faith in Jesus Christ and is now ministering to her family and, fr and friends. Noyon, as you just an example in this last picture, a very multicultural, um, very multicultural church. You can go to the, the next one, uh, where any you find anywhere from 15 to 20 nationalities on a given Sunday morning. Here we have America <laughs> uh, and South Korea. Madagascar represented. What an amazing testimony. What an amazing testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit producing unity, producing love, uh, bringing all that diversity together to worship God as one body and, and in one voice, all for the glory of God. And we thank you for your part in that, supporting us for 36 years. Um, I know they're very thankful for the partnership that they feel between, you know, their church there in Noyo and, and GBC. And uh, I think we'll have more opportunities to show, express that love in, in years to come. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you so much that, as you promised, you are building your church. And you're building your church in France. And what a privilege it is to be a part of that. To even witness that firsthand to see what you're doing. And Lord, I know that it's not an easy time. It's been a three-year uphill battle to get that building ready, and then COVID hit, and then they were shut down again. So, Lord, I especially commit to you, Huberto, the pastor. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, encourage him even now. Uh, empower him with your, with your Holy Spirit to be that leader that the church needs. Lord, they need other people to step up and just say, okay, we'll, we will work together to care for this building so that weight is not on you. So, Lord, we ask for that provision as well. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And, uh, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.